And we are rolling live, Letter Buck. Last week we had a Navy SEAL. This week we got an Army Ranger. Ranger Danger. Griff, how are you, sir? Good, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, brother. So I I did a pop quiz for my Navy SEAL buddy, uh, Jack Reagan's there, talking about oorah, hoorah, and and all the different raws. Uh, What do you got for the Rangers? You got any special hoorah, oorahs, anything like that? Any battle cries? You know, oddly enough, it was not cool for us when I was in to do that. <laughs> it, it used to be in the 80s and the early 90s, they'd say hua, and then the rest of the army adopted it. And as soon as the army adopts it, the rangers, are, they just kind of like turn their nose up at it. It's not cool and anymore. They, they, yeah, they're just, they just say, you know, rangers lead the way. That's it. That's it. That's, that's all you that's got. It. No Latin sayings, nothing? Yeah, I mean, like our motto is uh, sua sponte. It means to take authoritative action without prompting. It means if you see something wrong, get your ass up and go fix it right now. I like, like that. You don't, you don't need to be told what to do. It's sua sponte. Okay. I'm writing that one down. I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. How do you spell it? S-U-A-S-P-O-N-T-E. Sua sponte. To take authoritative action without prompting. Taking the initiative. That's, that's what leadership is. I, uh, with my kids, it's always don't walk past a job. Basically the same idea. Yeah. You Ours know. is uh, no job is done until it's clean. Nice. Sounds yeah. a little like our Royal Canadian Regiment. We have uh, three infantry regiments. Mine, uh, that well, it was mine. Uh, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, the Queen's mm-hmm. Cowboys. And uh, the Royal Canadian Regiment is the other uh, English speaking regiment. And then the Bandus, they're the French speaking infantry regiment. But the. Um, uh, the RCR, they got all the cool sayings, all the Latin sayings and pro patria, and they got the cool hat badge. It looks like a sheriff's badge or a throwing star. They call it the Death Star. It's like, oh, man, we don't got any of that. We say VP for Victoria's Patricia's. That's it. That's all we got. So I guess we're uh, <laughs> in the same boat. I, I'm jealous of the people that got all the cool sayings. You know, oddly enough, I, uh, I jump with Patricia's. With, with you guys, with Princess Patricia's, and I actually have Canadian jump wings. Uh, they came down, and they jumped with us in the Rangers down at Fort Lewis. So it's one of the things I'm actually proud of to wear my uniform is the is the maple leaf with the wings. That is very, very, very cool. Every now and then, uh, one of the Stolen Valor guys up here wears a Ranger patch. I'm like, oh, come on. You know how many people, how many Canadians got the Ranger patch? It's like three. <laughs> yeah, it's-, it's really, really rare. I, I know uh, our old Sergeant Major, um, uh, as the legend goes, he topped the Ranger course. And then they're like, yeah, we're, we, we can't let a Canadian top the Ranger course. That's just not okay. So he went and did it again and did it again. But uh, I'm 5'9". Brownie would have been like 5'8". Uh, just hard as nails. Hard, hard, man. <laughs> when, when you're there, it's, you know, you, you look over and, you know, I'm six foot, big dude. I was weighed like 195 pounds going in. Yeah. Came out weighing 152 months later. <laughs> and uh, I just remember like walking up the side of the Continental Divide, carrying a machine gun and, you know, just heavy ruck and everything else and just hating life and just complaining like I'm done. And I look over and there's, you know, this sergeant out of a 
ADA unit out of Hawaii, an air defense artillery unit out of Hawaii is five, six. And he was just motoring up the hill. I'm like, man, if this guy can do it, I can do it. They can't <laughs> let me quit. <laughs> I got to keep going. It really doesn't matter the size of the person. All the big dudes I see typically fall out. It's the, it's the little angry dudes that are the ones that, that make it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, some of the best soldiers ever were like these tiny slight guys. And how they carry their body weight on their back is beyond me. But they freaking do. Don't know how. You know, yeah, uh, there's smaller targets too, which is a convenient, <laughs> that's helpful. A convenient truth on the objective. Yeah. Well, I find the guys that are north of six uh, three, they uh, their knees and backs give out because there's just leverage. It doesn't work with a rucksack. I don't know. Just doesn't seem to work out for them. They get uh, all crippled up. Yeah, it's nice when they're breachers, though. It's, yeah, it's it's convenient when they got all that ass behind it. Yeah, hey, tiny, come on, you go first. <laughs> we got your back, and you're good. So, uh, jumping with the Patricias, what year was that? That was 2004. Remember any names? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like oddly enough, this is we were in the the mix of combat deployments and. The way the regiment works is, you know, we would go one month on, one month off, three months on, three months off, six months on, six months off. And I say on, I mean, we're deployed downrange. And in between, you have to meet all of your, I mean, we're a national level force and we have to meet all of these critical training objectives. So when you're not on a combat rotation, you're doing airfield seizures, you're doing different tasks that you have to check off and meet mandatory training requirements. Um, so as oddly enough, is the, we, we were going ready for our, our jumps and like, Hey, we have to get our, you know, our, our jump every couple months in order to stay current and keep our jump pay. And they said, Oh, the Israelis and the Canadians are here. What is so we got the jump? Yeah. So I got Israeli and Canadian jump wings in the same oh, day. It was so pretty sweet. cool. Yeah. Uh, Tim Turner is one of our uh, legends in the battalion and he's got wings up the wazoo, uh, American wings, Cambodian wings, I think. You know, just one of those guys that he's um, uh, free fall commando. There's not a lot of them around. <laughs> That's a very, very small, small community. But um, uh, have you run into Stolen Valor yourself? People uh, running around wearing uh, Ranger tabs that they really shouldn't be? No, not really. Uh, I mean, you hear stories about guys doing things, and, you know, I think everybody's imagination gets better with time. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I did this or I did that. And like, yeah, uh-huh, okay. And it, you just let it go. It is what it is. But I've, I've actually never ran into anybody who I will take that back. There you go. Here's one. One of the most formative military, like, people in my life turned out to be massively stolen valor. My Whoa. junior high science teacher, Dr. Robert McDowell, was claimed to be a reserve Navy SEAL, right? And like was, you know, would like was, you know, was a Navy SEAL, and then every now and then he would go back oh. on active duty for missions, okay. right? And yeah. then he told us all stories about the Gulf War and everything else. And I just remember being in junior high and thinking this guy was really cool and listening to him. And then I, you know, I went to high school, never saw him, went to college, graduated from West Point, and then I called him up like, "Hey, do you want to come to my graduation?" He's like, "I'm sorry, no, I can't make it." Fast forward a couple of years, I go start looking him up and there's massive stories of stolen valor with his photo all over the internet. I'm like, wow, how crazy was that? Oh my God. Some of them are better than others. I, um, do you know what Seesaw is? No. So that's uh, Com- a combat search and rescue. Uh, close. Um, yeah. uh, Canadian special ops. Um, so they didn't exist when I was in, 
well, not really, but um, Canadian Special Operations Regiment. And then they're a Tier 2 unit. Then our Tier 1 unit is JTF-2. And the people I'm familiar that, with those guys. Oh, pardon? I'm familiar with JTF-2. Yeah. They're, uh, yeah, they're a Tier 1 unit. They're high-speed, low-drag, for sure. At uh, really high speed, because they can't actually, um, if you meet a JTF-2 person, they'll never, ever tell you that they're JTF-2. Uh, you know, which which uh, Tier 1 unit you think would kind of, you know, supposed to be like that. Uh, they'll say, oh, Special Forces, you know, and, and that's it. They go under that blanket. But... Um, uh, I ran into a guy recently in the veteran community, and he came in with a veteran friend. So I figured, well, that's the vetting right there. Nope, not a flipping stitch of service, and uh, has all these claims of combat engineers slash this slash that, uh, seesaw, and I'm like, oh my god! W- one of the stories, and actually, was a facial expression that he made on a question. Then I went, wait a second, but I left it alone. You know, uh, my, my, uh, it was like a flare went off, but I was like, nope, nope. He came in with a buddy of mine. I'm not calling this guy out in the middle of, uh, of this group at, uh, uh, which is not like me. I, I, I have trouble leaving things alone. I'm not very good at that, but, um, I did turned out later that not a stitch of service end up being charged because he was uh, committing fraud and all kinds of things like oh i should have said something god damn it but i've run into them a lot remembrance day ceremonies at legions the worst is with uh, fake medals that's not a good time you know somebody wants to tell some stories that's one thing but wearing medals that uh, you didn't earn <laughs> can't believe these people are still walking right yeah it's I mean, it's, I, I see it on social media, um, and it, I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. I, you, you can't help it. I'm a big believer in karma. It's just going to come back to get them. Uh, and I, I'm really thankful, like, in the Ranger community, the Ranger community, when I say the Ranger community, the, the regiment is exceptionally tight. And, you know, there's a bunch of different social networks that are, you know, tied to the Ranger community. And within minutes, somebody goes, hey, did you serve with this dude? And this because we have three different battalions and they're all over the country, two in Georgia and one in Washington. So some guy can say, hey, I'm a I'm a Ranger from Second Ranger Battalion, which is from Washington. And he could be in Maryland interviewing for a job. And somebody will literally be sitting in the meeting in the job, hop on one of those social networks, like, hey, did you know this guy was this team leader? I'm at an interview with him now. And the whole network swarms like, yep, he was a good dude. He's <laughs> worth, worth hiring. And so it's really cool to see the network come together that way. Yeah. Or if they were a shitbag, like, no, he got RFS, which means relief for standards. He's not worth hiring. And But, the, I mean, the Ranger community is really tight like that. Yeah. If you uh, wash out of the Ranger course, I mean, because most do, like, what's the survival rate? Because you don't go straight Rangers, right? Like you come from somewhere else? So the, there's, there's, and this is tough, you know, there's their own nuances with it, but there's Ranger School, which is a, which is a two month leadership school out of Fort Benning, Georgia, right? Which gives you the black and yellow tab that says Ranger on it. It means you're trained in the, the basic fundamentals of combat leadership, according to the United States Army. And then there's the Ranger Regiment, which is a special operations unit. Two totally different things. And so when somebody says you're a Ranger, there's a big division in the U.S. Army about this. Um, because, like, oh, I'm a Ranger, which, you know, you could be Ranger qualified, which means you went to the school. Yeah. But, you, but, you know, if you come out of the regiment, you go, I'm a Ranger, which means you had to have served within the 75th Ranger Regiment. Is there a minimum so a, time commitment there? 
No, not really. Uh, so you, there's, you know, two courses of action. If you're enlisted, you'll go through basic training. You'll go through, you know, your AIT, your advanced individual training. You'll go through pair, you know, jump school. And then you go to RASP, or I don't know what they're calling it now, RASP, RIP. Um, and then it's another month to two month long indoctrination course to get to be a, a private, the lowest enlisted guy in the Ranger Regiment. One of the most brutal training cycles, period. It's just abusive <laughs> the whole way through. And by the time that the privates get there, they're, they're hard. Yeah, they're, they yeah. really are. I mean, you're taking people who are willing to suffer and really want it to be there. And so that's the quality of person that you get as a person who's willing to suffer for six months to a year in order to join a special operations unit. Well, how long then is, when, uh, is ranger school by itself? Ranger school is two months, but if you're enlisted, you don't, you're not ranger qualified before you show up to the ranger regiment. Yeah. So then you, you're a private and you'll go through, you'll be, you know, a rifleman, you know, a grenadier or whatever, and then you'll go up. And then when you, in order for you to be in a leadership position, so a corporal or above, you need to be ranger qualified. So they will send you to ranger school from the ranger regiment. And if you fail out of ranger school, they will bounce you out of the ranger regiment. You're not allowed to be a leader in the ranger regiment if you are not ranger qualified. They will kick you out. Um. So that's, that's, that's how it is. Uh, and then if you're an officer, typically you go through whatever your schooling is, your officer basic course, and then you'll go to ranger school, which is, which is a two month course, which consists of, um, wrap week, right. Which is ranger assessment phase, which is just a week of running around doing pushups, doing a whole bunch of physical tests, you know, pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, five mile run, obstacle course, all those things. And then you go to Darby which is the, the squad patrolling phase, uh, which is a couple of weeks long, and you learn how to do basic squad patrols per the Ranger handbook. And then you go to Dahlonega, Georgia, which is the mountain phase, and you're there for a couple of weeks. And then you jump from squad-level operations to platoon-level operations, so from nine guys to 36 guys. And then after, you know, should you make it through mountain phase, which is brutal, um, then you'll go to Florida phase, and that's another you know three weeks that's there. So all in, uh, I think it's 62, 63 days is in the course. That's and again, yeah. And, and it's, it's common. You just really don't eat and sleep. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> like my, my case was I went in at 191 pounds. They, did, they fatten you up a little bit before graduation, but I hopped on a scale before they started feeding us again. And I weighed 151. Man. And, and you're yeah. six one you're saying, so that's, that's skinny. So yeah, six foot. I look like a twelve-year-old boy. I mean, you could by then you could barely do ten push-ups. I mean, your legs are massive. You could walk forever. Yeah. Um. But then, like, as soon as you graduate, you start eating. Two weeks later, I weighed two hundred and fifteen pounds. <laughs> just uh, you're packed just, about you're just, it. Boomerang. You just like eating and eating and eating, and it was so bad that when I showed up to my first unit, I was artillery. Yeah. So I was an infantry guy, so they expect artillery guys to be a little bit more out of shape and fat. So me at two fifteen, I was round. I was a round guy. And then I, you know, I, I showed it to my unit and then I got, you know, transferred over to my infantry unit as a fire support officer. And over the next two months, I was able to like get my body back in action and start running more. And I, I went from 215 back down to like 180. Yeah, that's and good. It was that's a good point. weight for, for 6-1. And then my, my commanders were like, Griff, are, are you okay? Do you have cancer? Is something wrong with you? I was like, no, I'm just getting rid of my baby weight, my ranger baby weight. So that was it. Um, but then for an officer to go to the regiment, you need to do well in your first conventional unit. And then you need to apply. They have to have a need. And then you 
back when I went to it, it's called Rope Course, so Ranger Orientation Program, where they would go down for a couple of weeks. You would do more physical tests, psychological evaluations, interviews, uh, and then if you pass that, then they would allow you to go into the Ranger Regiment, and then you're you know a cherry lieutenant. Well, not say cherry, but pretty cherry lieutenant and with a whole bunch of combat-hardened guys. So I got to my first unit uh, the week they got back from the invasion of Iraq. So everybody was walking around with scrolls and stereo, and here I am, this butter bar lieutenant with no combat patch as an yeah. artillery guy, and it was, it was quite entertaining. Yeah, we don't get combat patches. It's just uh, you get your medal, but you don't get a patch that goes on your combat uh, shirt or anything like that. I think we should, <laughs> but we don't. Now, our training is, um, at least it used to be, 10 weeks of basic, which is everybody goes through. Land, air, sea, doesn't matter. Everybody uh, uh, get, goes through the exact same mill. And then off to your trades training. And uh, then battle school was about 16 weeks. And uh, the, the last two weeks are fugly. <laughs> Just fugly. Defensive X in, in particular. Especially, uh, mine was February. Ooh. You Canadians are hard. hard. You're straight hard, hard. <laughs> that cold, you guys are amazing. I don't get it, but more power to you. Oh, did you ever do any Arctic training? No, I didn't. Well, I mean, I, I, I did an Arctic deployment, so I did Afghanistan in the middle of winter at 10,000 feet, so that was pretty close to it for yeah, a few that, months. Yeah, that is. That was, that was pretty freaking chilly. For Arctic training, I'm winter warfare qualified, I don't know, three, four times over. Arctic qualified once. But um, it just means you're carrying way more kit <laughs> and a toboggan behind you. Like you're, you're basically a sled dog. And um, you just got to do things different. But, uh, I mean, I've had 40 below Celsius. So Fahrenheit and Celsius wow. meet, meet at, at minus 30. And uh, I've been at 40 below, stripped down to a T-shirt, gushing sweat because we're, we're sled dogging. We're... Two people in the traces in the front uh, pulling the toboggan and one person on the tiller bar pushing and steering the toboggan, going up a fucking mountain. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, overheating. But, yeah, that's, that's a whole, uh, whole other thing. Jesus Christ. What's the scope of operations for the Rangers? Like, what, uh, what, what the fuck do Rangers do? I think they're, they're kind of like what our airborne regiment used to be. So, yeah. <sighs> doctrinally there's a bunch of things but what i tell people what we do is we're airfield gangsters yeah and then we're then we're professional kidnappers all right um so if, if you look at any u.s invasion there we need to take an airfield like we will steal an airfield from you and the rangers are the guys who do it so basically what they do is they put five to eight hundred dudes across an airfield about five minutes in the middle of the night and then we steal an air a runway from you and then we start landing planes in to push larger combat equipment off the back. So if you look at Grenada, Panama, you know, Iraq, um, Afghanistan, the first objectives we hit are airfields because that's how we project our forces via air power. So our primary mission and one of the main things that we do around training is stealing airfields. So that's one of our, our primary objectives. And it is an impressive sight when you see, you know, I call it ants on a Twinkie when you see all the Rangers loaded up in their combat gear and jump gear, like hustling to the back of all these C-17s that are across the runway. And then you realize that all of those guys are going to be on the ground within five minutes of that first plane being in there. And it's, 
I mean, mini bikes, mortars, guns, everything else, it all hits the ground. Now that's like high that. speed load rig. That's freaking cool. If you're jumping off with yeah. mini bikes, it's like, ooh, that's fun. That is nothing but cool right there. We didn't get yeah, any mini bikes. We have our backs and our feet. The Toe Heel yeah. Express. That's it. That's what you get. <laughs> and then um, and then once that mission is done, then we convert to what I call professional kidnapping. So you know, we you know, we hold the the title of more kills and captures of high value targets than every other unit in the military combined. Like the, you know, some guy put up a social media thing about it, but he, he called the Ranger the, the US DOD's sharpest blunt object. And when I, when, it, like, when I describe it to people, like everybody's familiar with Navy SEALs because of all the books and the movies, and the Navy yeah. SEALs are great. I mean, they're really good at their mission and what they do, but it's very precise. And I would equate them to a surgeon's role of tools, right? Nice leather roll, very precise. They have to do certain things and they have to get it done in a very, like delicate manner often uh rangers are like a dump truck full of sledgehammers like it is <laughs> if you garner our attention you are going to have a sad face day you have you know, a whole bunch of meat eating alpha males like carrying lots of guns that hunt as a team it is it is a devastating organization yeah, yeah i think rangers would work really good with our third battalion ppcli um so for, for us the third battalion of every uh, infantry unit is the jump unit. That's how it is now. We used to have mm-hmm. our own uh, standalone airborne regiment, but no longer. That uh, died in the 90s. So uh, 3VP would be kind of like the 103rd Air for, uh, Air, Airborne, so not a jump um, battalion so much as air mobile. But the jump company within 3VP would be like an airborne airborne unit. The mm-hmm. high speed, low drag, going a little bit deeper, a little bit faster, and jumping low, that kind of thing. So similar scope of operations, airfields, et cetera. You need those airfields, man. That's important. Yeah, jumping sucks. Landing on an airfield sucks. <laughs> and and the, the bad part about it is you always get guys hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you're jumping out in the middle of the night, low altitude, you know, with a cement runway, like guys get hurt. And that's the, the worst part about it is you're always going to get a couple guys injured, which is, you never know who it's going to be on one of ours. We had our, our battalion sergeant major break his ankle on the jump. So it, it doesn't matter whether you're the newest guy or the oldest guy. It's dangerous for everybody there when you're doing it. And um, I, I just hate getting guys hurt. So that, that was just one of the tougher things is like doing a jump, you know, somebody's probably going to get hurt. Yeah. And uh, civilians wouldn't understand why that is. But it's because uh, everybody's using the lawn dart parachutes, you know, just a round parachute, and you got, you can't be floating around in the sky hot dogging. You got to get down, uh, otherwise you're 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 a slow moving target. So. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're in the air, maybe on a combat jump, you might be in the air for 10, 15 seconds. Yeah. So if anything goes wrong, you got to be quick on your malfunctions. And, and, and again, yeah, you're carrying a lot of weight. I carried three radios. I carried a, a big one, 17 Fox and two embedders. I had my rifle, had all my ammo, had all my equipment and everything else. And that all suspends from you, you know, from your waist when you're walking. And then when you jump out of the airplane and your parachute inflates, God willing, nothing goes wrong with it. And then you, you know, pull a, a lanyard and it drops down on a string below you. So it's, it's swinging kind of on a pendulum. And if it's windy, that thing will hit the ground first and kind of act as a fulcrum and smack you over or it can drag you around. And, or if there's no wind, you can land on top of it and then you know, roll your ankle or hurt yourself getting to it. So it's, 
it's just dangerous. And everybody who jumps for a living will tell you they don't like jumping for a living. It's cool for the first five times in airborne school, but then once you got to do it, you kind of dread it and you, you do, you do it for the pay, but it's not fun. Yeah. Well, uh, if you were doing the free fall, now that would be fun, but there's not yeah. too many of those, <laughs> those folks around getting your free fall course or operationally doing free fall insertions. You know, very, very cool, very slick, but uh, there's, that's a very, very small community as well. Uh, let's talk about combat flip-flops. Um, yeah, let's talk about combat flip-flops. Let's talk Bad about for com- running, worse for fighting. Bad for running, worse for fighting. The, um, what I like about your company is you are a mission-based company, and this is what I see with so many veteran-owned companies, uh, brewing companies, um, coffee brewers, it, it's all about creating an, an environment where you can give back. So uh, tell me about how Combat Flip-Flops is uh, doing its best to give back. So over the past 10 years, we have been focused on manufacturing in conflict areas or post-conflict areas. So we started in Afghanistan and we went to Colombia, uh, Laos. We make some stuff here in the United States. And then we use our profits to put little girls to school in Afghanistan uh, we put, as of June, 2021, we, we got our first comma. We put a thousand girls in school in Afghanistan. And then we've cleared over 25,000 square meters of landmines through our landmine jewelry in Laos. So they're left over from the Vietnam war. And then we've helped hundreds of veteran charities here at, at home, uh, through donations and products. That is absolutely spectacular. And, uh, yeah. people don't know how good they have it. They don't understand what it's like to live in a war zone. And, uh, with, with, you know, but once you've seen it, it's, um, hard to not have some empathy for it. It it is. And I think the thing that, you know, I'll try to keep this story short. We have a book about it. If you want to read the book, it's on our website. It's called steps ascending rise of the unarmed forces. And, you know, basically I served four combat deployments, doing a lot of violent work operated in the dark at night. And all I saw was the baddest of the bad. So I, I never really saw anything positive during my deployments after all this effort and, you know, losing a whole bunch of guys. Um, I started going back in a medical capacity in 2009. And what I saw was that businesses were providing the real stability in these areas. And it was no matter where I went, whether it was through the Middle East, Africa, South America, Central America, it was the same thing. And I thought to myself, you know, why aren't we doing more to create small business owners and leaders creating jobs and stability and employment in these areas instead of keeping sending MRAPs and UAVs and, and, and all of these things that are historically ineffective. Uh, so we just started making combat uh, flip-flops in a combat boot factory in Afghanistan. Failed miserably for years. We ended up moving our, our production to Colombia. Uh, we started doing textiles in Afghanistan and it's, it's been a fun company. Like we've, we've employed thousands of people all over the world, you know, put over a thousand girls in school, cleared landmines. And it, it's just fun. It's a, it's a good way to, to make a living. Tell me how it affected you with the uh, recent Afghanistan withdrawal, if you can call it a withdrawal. Um, it probably one of the toughest struggles I've had in my adult life. That was the first time my daughters have ever seen me cry. Uh, we've got uh, just friends and family that are there. You know, we, we have school teachers that we've been supporting for nearly a decade. You know, we've got factory owners and family members that we've literally watched these kids grow up, you know, online or in person. You know, these people go to work every day through previously a, a crappy war zone avoiding bombs and everything else in order to make cool scarves or products for people to sell to put their, their 
kids in school. And now all of that just went away. And to hear the fear and the anxiety and to see the depression to come through from our partners who have been there for so long is just really, it's devastating. And then to see the, the political responses to it was heartbreaking. You know, to see the media responses to it was heartbreaking. How they politicized everything instead of just realizing that these are human beings who are going to suffer immensely because of the laziness and failures of our leadership. And they're, yeah, it, it just, it was tough. All the private units, and I don't know how the hell they pulled it off logistically, like uh, Tim Kennedy, you know, uh, jumping on planes, going in, inserting themselves and, and getting people on planes and getting them out. Just, I can't even begin to imagine the logistics of that. But is that still ongoing? Have you heard anything? Yeah, there's, there's still a lot of stuff ongoing. We've been working on it since, and since it happened. Actually, you know, we, we were trying to get our interpreter out uh, for combat flip-flops, who was a you know, fellow Green Beret friend of mine. It was his interpreter as well. Spent nine years trying to get him out through the U.S. SIV process. And then two weeks prior to the fall of Afghanistan, we ended up getting him out to the U.K. because he served with the British. So they, they fast-tracked his SIV program to get him out. And then, uh, you know, we were calling the fall... I called it as early as April of 2020 on another podcast. Like this is how it is going to roll out. All of the predictions that I've made have been true because I just work there. I see it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we've been working with, you know, military families, school teachers, factory owners, and other private organizations, um, to get folks out. We're continuing to raise money. Uh, right now what we're doing is we're sending money forward to, uh, build jackets, blankets, clothing for people because hundreds of thousands of people were displaced internally. They had to get up and leave their homes with everything on their back. And they left in September or August thinking they could get out of the country. And now they're dislodged in safe houses and it's freezing. It's the middle of winter in Afghanistan and they have no cold weather clothing. Yeah. So we are, we're sending money forward. We're actually, we turned our factory from making scarves and a few other things to making blankets and jackets. And so they're distributing those things around the country. So we're just taking donations. Um, if you want to donate, uh, go to combatflipflops.com slash Afghan Wubi, and, uh, and you can donate there. But all that money will go forward to create jobs and uh, put some clothing on people. Or at least do all your Christmas shopping through Combat Flip Flops. At least, yeah. I mean, we're, we're quickly running out of uh, gear and apparel. So <laughs> if you're going to get it, get it right now. Yeah, there you go. And I believe you, it's not just a sales tactic. Fear of loss. No, no. no <laughs> it's I mean, just true. I mean, when you're a veteran small business making stuff in war zones, very few people are going to fund you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very difficult mission to do. It's expensive to do. And so we're competing with all the Chinese national brands with years of, of dominance in the market and market share and all the full Brazilian butt shots and magazines. And so here we are this, as this brand combat flip-flops and when you say it out loud it doesn't make any sense but when you start digging into it you go oh, okay i get it now um you know we sell through our product and when we make what we can we bring it through and we just keep selling more and we keep growing but it's it's a long uphill fight if you're not making stuff in chinese forced labor camps so yeah. well i love the name because it's uh if we had flip-flops in the shower or whatever that would be the running joke in our military as well combat flip-flops High speed, low drag. 
Yeah. What's funny though is just the amount of people on social media is you can't fight in flip flops. You guys should do you guys should, you never seen a soldier fight in flip flops and like then we we're like uh eyes roll to the back of the head. Okay, homie. And then we've got photos of dudes like literally shooting mortars and t shirts and flip flops and our flip flops. Okay. <laughs> like Yeah, obviously you don't fight in flip flops. It's kind of a joke. It's, yeah, it's an oxymoron for sure. Well, it's probably the Air Force guys that are giving you a hard time. No, I mean they, they come from all <laughs> It's it's the pro bro vets that that get down with it, and like this should be something they they should agree with and want to support. Yeah. But they just everybody's angry about things these days, and everybody's they, got to be a hater now. Yeah. Well, the best part about it is when they jump on our page and they clap at us and we clap back. People are surprised. Oh my god, you talk to your customers like that? Like, I I think. I don't think you understand. You stepped onto a page owned by army <laughs> Rangers and you're going to like talk shit without doing any research, like expect it to come back. I mean, we, we don't insult anybody, but we just make it apparent that they haven't done their due diligence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's fair. What's next for combat flip flops. So right now we're, um, you know, we're just retooling for 2022. So we got our spring launch out, we got new products coming out. So that's just a hefty, work for us over the winter. So now that we're almost through our holiday push and then with Afghanistan was the primary focus of our nonprofit and our charities, uh, we're going to pivot a little bit and be more at home. Uh, so I'll show it to you. Like I have a, a Venn diagram that I really try to follow in life and it's right here. Yeah, let's see if I can get in front of the computer here. So it's what matters, what you can control and right in the middle is where you should focus. Yeah. That's where you got to um, live. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, as, as much credibility and as many successes as we have as a business and as people, it's still a, a very difficult fight to try to control things on the ground in Afghanistan. You know, and, and you know, we, we just can't control that. We can't control the chaos of our failing leadership across the international community to support people who really need help. We just, we can't do it. Um, so we're going to help there where we can in the method that we said we were going to. We're going to keep people warm. We're going to keep people fed. We're going to keep you know providing money for medical supplies and doing that. But we're going to shift at home and focus on a, a veteran charity at home, which we're going to release here in the next few months that, um, that I really like and support. And I, I really dig their mission. So we're going to be doing a little bit of a pivot on our philanthropy here, but uh, we're going to focus more here at home. Roger that. Well, brother, I think we're both there for now. But um, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, the continued service that you're uh, providing through combat flip-flops and through blood, sweat, and tears is really something else. Well, thank you. And if anybody wants to check anything out, uh, just go to combatflipflops.com. If you want to hit me up directly, I'm on Instagram, combatflipflops.griff. And it's, I think it's up there in my, my Chiron right there. So you can hit me up on Instagram right there. And yeah, I'd love to chat with you, answer any questions you have. And if you have any questions on sizing your product, let me know. Or if you're just a veteran getting out and wanting to, you know, figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, like feel free to hit me up as well there too. Well, what are the corporate par- partnerships? We'll close off with that. Uh, so we, we work a lot with Brass and Unity. So our favorite Canadian veteran brand. Uh, so Kelsey's an amazing person. She's a good friend of mine and, and she's got a tremendous sense of style. So we like working with her. Uh, right now, we're working with the U.S. Army Ranger Association. We're working with the Navy SEAL Foundation. Uh, we're working with One More Wave. We, we work with Best Defense Foundation, Merging Vets and Players. So we, we work with a lot of folks right now. Roger that. Griff, thank you, brother. Please stay on the line. Thank you.
You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, including Rangers. Hua. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.